Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 1. These are the words of God. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each, a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of your faith, if service in serving, Or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Last week, we looked at three responses to mercy, and those responses are as follows. Number one, we saw that the right response to mercy is to live in reverent fear of God. Now, there's two types of fear that we see constantly communicated in the Scripture. One is a Greek word that is translated phobia, uh, but that fear has to do with judgment. The Scripture rightly says that, uh, that perfect love casts out fear. How many of you know that? Perfect love casts out fear. But that fear, it says, uh, if you continue in the verse, perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with judgment. John 3.18 tells us very clearly that we who believe, that is the, um, that's the modus operandi of God, that's how he works, we are saved by grace through what? Faith. And he says in, in uh, John 3.18, those who believe are not judged. It's an important understanding. That is the throughput of salvation. That's the throughput of our life. And so we are saved by grace through faith, and those who believe are not judged. But then it goes on and says, those who do not believe are condemned already. Pretty staggering truth, right? It's a hard pill to swallow for our culture, but the culture needs to hear it, church. They need to hear it because the right, uh, the right view of Scripture is that first and foremost, God has shut up all under sin so that he might show mercy to All is what Romans 11 tells us. But in view of that mercy, there are right responses to mercy. 
It would be a wrong response for somebody who was merciful to you. It would be a wrong response for you to treat them with disrespect. It would be a wrong response for you to ignore their petitions to you. It would be a wrong response for you to think uh, low of the mercy that has been shown to you. Amen? So we are to think rightly of God. And he says that we are to live in reverent fear of his mercy. Now, there's a lot that goes into that, and I I wish that I had all the time uh, in the day to communicate what it means to live in reverent fear. But that was one response to mercy. The second response to mercy is adoration, verbal adoration. It's praise. There is a reason, believe it or not, there is a reason why we sing songs in the church. (laughs) It's not just because we came up with some really cool idea or that we all just like music and we don't care what God thinks. We, We... follow a God who created even that art form. And it's such a beautiful thing. The Apostle Paul ends what we would call Romans chapter 11. He ends Romans 11 with a verbal praise. And it's one that if I could recommend to you to memorize, this is one that you ought to memorize. I would challenge you fathers to try to uh, call your family to remember this particular passage of scripture because it is a, a picture of our living God and it keeps us in right view of who he is in a lot of different ways. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Now, what he goes on to say, I'm going to read it, but what he goes on to say, all of this is a response to an entire section of Scripture where he touts the mercy of God for all people. Look again at Romans 11, verse 32, verse 31 and verse 32. He says, so these also now have been disobedient. He was talking about disobedient, hardened, unbelieving Jews. Uh, they, that because of the mercy shown to you, Gentiles, they also may now be shown mercy. Look at verse 32. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. How many, by a show of hands, can say, I'm a part of the all in disobedient? And if you don't raise your hand, I'll come raise it for you. Okay? Therefore... How many of you who raised your hand of the all of disobedient have been shown mercy because you are a product of his all? Yes. That is an amazing, beautiful truth there. So this is Paul's verbal affirmation, verbal declaration, verbal worship of God. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Obviously, we have 1 John 4.10 in mind, where uh, we did not first love God, but he first loved us. Remember, we are products of mercy, not products of our own doing. Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things, the merciful God, to him be the glory forever. And the church said, Amen. amen. That is the right response to mercy. Many of us uh, don't fully understand the depth of mercy. 
We've been taught according to a secular culture and we've been taught according to a compromised church that God loves those who, uh, who are good or God loves those who get their act together or God loves those who are, who've cleaned themselves up. This is simply not the gospel. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mercy has been shown to all because all have been shut up under sin. All of us. Not one of us has a leg to stand on. Not one of us can beat their chest and stand before God and say, I have a thing or two to say to you. We just don't have the right. But in view of mercy, what should we do? First, live in reverent fear. Second, adore God with our worship. Praise him with our tongue. And then third, we are to live holy and godly lives. Holy and godly lives. Romans 12.1 says it. Therefore, I urge you, in view of the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of what, church? Worship. This is how we worship God. It is manifestly wrong-headed. I say this all the time. It is manifestly wrong-headed for any human being to think that in light of mercy, I can continue to sin because, hey, I didn't do anything to earn my salvation and I don't do anything to keep my salvation, so God now owes me. How would that make any sense to anybody? And yet Christian after Christian after Christian, and maybe I should use air quotes, but I'm not the judge of people. But the point is, is that many people claim, hey, I can live like hell six days a week and I can come and be a Christian on Sunday. No, 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 no. You are a product of mercy. You are a product of God's loving grace. And the right response is to live a holy life. But in case you feel intimidated by that call, you have to remember what Peter says to the church. Peter says to the church, he says, I want you to understand something. God has given you everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Can you live a holy and a godly life in reverent fear of God, in trust? Faithful obedience to him. Can you do it, church? The answer is yes, but why? Because he has empowered you. Are we not filled with the Spirit of God when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior? Yes. Romans says if we don't have the Spirit of God, we don't belong to him. That's a problem. But we do have the Spirit of God. And here's what I know about God. He is not impotent. If God's power is in you, God is working through you. If God has begun a good work in you, what will he do according to Scripture? He will complete it. He will carry it on until its end. I had a great conversation with a friend of mine about sanctification this past week. And we, we talked about the fact that, that we, we often uh, allow ourselves to be too much a part of sanctification. Is that an amen, Paul? We allow ourselves to be too much a part of sanctification. I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting that we don't listen and obey. That's the rule in my house. That's God's rule for us. <laughs> listen and obey. But what I want you to understand is that the Spirit of God is empowering you. He is working out what it is that he started. And it is a beautiful and glorious truth. But we are called, church, to live out a holy life. Now, the, the thing that I want you to see today, a particular aspect of holiness that I want you to see, is this aspect of living in unity with fellow believers. 
Last week, we ended our service with holding hands and stretching out across this, this, this auditorium and, and, and calling on the God of, of peace, calling on the God of unity, because we are his, and we want him to, to weave us together, to did us together. How many of you know that you're, you are all different parts of one body? Different parts of his body. This is an important idea. So today, I want you to see, based on context, what Paul is pointing to this entire time. He's talking about unity. So, without further ado, we'll just start with verse 1, and we'll uh, attempt, with my time left, to get through to verse 13. Here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. The word that you need to think through in this verse, there's many of them, uh, but the word urge is really important. It is the same Greek word for uh, exhorting people, to, to bring exhortation. The Apostle Paul, that word means to bring encouragement to somebody. But can I say something to you, church? I've shared it before in the past, but I want you to hear it again. Encouragement does not mean complimenting people. Did you catch me? Encouraging does not mean complimenting people. It, you do not walk up to somebody and say, oh, you are just a sweetheart. Okay, that, that's fine. That's fine. We need compliments. How many of you need compliments? You need to not feel like everybody thinks you're a dirtbag. <laughs> okay, but you need compliments. But encouragement is not compliments. Encouragement means to build courage into someone. My job as a pastor is not to tell you the way you come in is the way you should leave and you're saved by grace and it's just the way it is. What I'm here to tell you is that you've been given the power that you need. You've been given the Spirit of God. You've been given everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. You can live a godly life. You must submit to Him. You must trust Him. You must just obey. Listen to what He's saying. And so what my job is is to build courage into you that says through the power of the Spirit of God, you can. Through the power of the Spirit of God, you can. Now, just a quick time out. There are many preachers that teach you things like, through the power of the Spirit, you can do the things they teach, right? Calling things into existence or, or whatever. Press the pause button on those people for a while. Okay. Okay, there's a lot of uh, pantheism and a lot of God is in all things and a lot of name it, claim it, speak it into existence kind of nonsense that has infiltrated the church. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to know you can do all things that God has promised through Christ who strengthens you. You don't get to make it up, Nathan Daniels. Uh, he, he makes stuff up on Father's Group all the time. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. But I have threatened to bring an organ to Father's Group because he gets into a preaching mode. I'm telling you what. That dude can do it. Okay, so the idea here is that Paul is urging. Paul is encouraging, but he is building courage into his people. And what courage does he set for them to do? Or what does, what does he build in them? He says you can, but you should present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. You know what will be the enduring sacrificial system according to the Bible? Us dying every day and living for our Savior. It's the enduring sacrificial system. It will continue to be. It is not done to pay back God. It is done to please him and to honor him and to love him. Amen? Amen. 
How, how many of you know, how many of you know that in your relationships, you seek to please the person you're in relationship with? Yes? How many of you know that? <laughs> how many of you know that that is actually a motivation for, for doing and obeying God? Too often in the church, we, we hear this. We hear either, I'm working so as to make myself good that God would love me. That's earning your salvation. Or we hear, I'm going to do good and righteousness before God because I want to make sure he still loves me or maintains his love for me. That is keeping your salvation through your works. But very rarely do we hear as an acceptable alternative, I am obeying God because I want him to have joy. I want him to be pleased with me. I want to bring a smile to my father's face. We do this for our wives, we do this for our husbands, we do this for our kids, we do this for our parents. Why would we think that's not something to do for our God? But because I want to please him doesn't mean for one second I don't realize I'm an object of mercy. I am a product of grace. I am not a product of good old Nathan. Can you imagine how arrogant we would be if that was true? As it stands, we have no uh, rock to stand on, no, no uh, soapbox that we can get on. So I want you to see that Paul is making a- an encouragement to people, which is, more, uh, which is more of a declaration than it is a suggestion. Jesus in, in, uh, in uh, Matthew 28, he doesn't make the great suggestion, you know that, right? He makes the great commission. He's called us to go into all the world and make disciples. He's called us to live this way, and we need to do it. Paul is urging us to do what it is that we ought to do in view of mercy. So verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may, say it with me, church, prove. Say it again, prove. This, it does not say so that you may know the will of God. We are supposed to know the will of God. The word of God has been given to us. We are supposed to know. But by our confirmed, uh, renewed, restored, transformed mind, we are to prove what the will of God is, which is unity in this context, and I'll show it to you. But prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Just so you know, right off the bat, you can write these down as as fun notes for you to study. Holiness is clearly in view in Scripture. Matthew 12, chapter 50, uh, Jesus is asked, uh, Jesus is told his mother and his brothers were outside, wanted to talk to him. And Jesus asked the question, who are my mother and my brother? And he added sisters in there. Jesus did have sisters. But who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? He answers his own question. What does he answer with? He says, those who do the will of my father. How many of you know that you are a part of that great family of God, Jesus, who is the firstborn among many brethren? You are a brother, a sister, uh, someone to Christ. You are a family member of Christ in so much as that you are a person whose life is marked by that that return of mercy, that that response to mercy, which is, I do the will of his Father. I do the will of who, who he is. Amen? So holiness is clear. Again, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the great commission, not suggestion, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Do you, do you remember what Matthew uh, 28 starts with? Uh, most of us overlook this. We just read the great commission or quote it out of its context a little bit. It says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Guess who's the boss now? <laughs> Jesus is the boss. And Jesus says, all authority has been given to me 
hey, you might want to think about following me or obeying me. No, he doesn't say that. Hey, I got a great suggestion for you. It might go well with you if you'll do what I say. No, 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 no. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Very powerful. You could look up Ephesians 5.17, which talks about a call to obedience. Or maybe more expressly, 1 Peter 1.14. I love this passage. It says, do not be conformed. Where have we heard that before? Oh, Romans 12.1 and 2. Do not be conformed. Peter is using Paul's language. Do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Church, we had no clue that we were cosmic treasonous people against God. <laughs> we had no idea. We were clueless. We were, we were in the darkness and we were grasping for everything that we could pull, uh, get our hands on, but we could not see. And God brought his light into the world that we might have hope, that we might have salvation. Amen? So it's important for us to see holiness is in view. But here is what else is in view. Romans 9, 10, and 11 is all about, the whole of Romans 1 through 16 is about a unifying system inside of Rome because remember, the Jews had returned and the Gentiles thought too highly of themselves. And God says, I've never rejected my people and I've grafted you in. Remain humble, but live in unity. So when Paul says, I want you to be conform- not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, clearly we have unity in view. I don't know if we know how powerful unity is, though. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 133. I've quoted this many times, but I want you to hear what God says unity is like. Through David. I want you to hear what God says unity is like through David. Look at this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. That's simply a, that's simply a value statement. It is good and pleasing. It is pleasant. It is good and pleasant for brothers to dwell together in unity. But let's see how big of a deal it really is. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of his robes. That has the anointing of Aaron as the priesthood all in it. Do you realize that dwelling together in unity is is valuable in God's eyes as the anointing of the priesthood? It is who we are, a royal priesthood. But in case that doesn't mean anything to you, this next one will mean something very clear to you. Verse 3, there's only three verses in Psalm 133. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. God just compared unity with eternal life. What are we all hunting for? What are we all striving for? What do we all want? We want that eternal life. We want that life with God. We pursue it by faith, not by our works, but we pursue it by faith. We trust in him. We rest in him. But please see this. God says that our unity is like eternal life. It is that beautiful. It is that pleasing. So if you don't have as your agenda the unity of the saints, if you don't have as your agenda living together with fellow believers, I don't think, I'm not going to say that you're not saved. I'm going to say that you don't understand how uh, valuable it is to God. 
He has said this is of immense value. Amen? Okay, so let's move forward. I got, I got a little bit of time left. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Remember on the measure of faith here, what we're about to talk about is Christian service, and what we're about to talk about is among Christians. This is not outside of the Christian bubble. This is God has given you the measure of faith you need to walk according to his plan and, and, and operate according to the gifts he's given you. I'll, I'll prove that a little bit later, but I just want you to keep that in mind. But the first thing that I want you to see is this. For through the grace given me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. The Apostle Paul uses the phrase, by the grace given to me, five times throughout the New Testament. He uses the same phrase five times throughout the New Testament. Every time, he is, he's a very smart communicator and that he uses it for the particular subject at hand. That's a great thing. But I believe, based on what you see in the Apostle Paul and what he's implying in all those things. Now listen, what I'm about to say, you can test. You can take it or leave it. Okay? But what I believe the Apostle Paul is communicating, based on what I see from the rest of Scripture, is that the Apostle Paul knows full well the person that he is. The person that he is. Here, here's what I mean by this. Look, at, look again at what he says. He says, for through the grace given to me. Who was the Apostle Paul before he was the Apostle Paul? Who was he? He was Saul of Tarsus. And who was Saul of Tarsus? Awesome. You guys go right to the negative. I've trained you poorly. Anyway, okay, so, so but here, here's who Paul was. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And Paul says this in inspired scripture. He says, according to the law, he is faultless. I don't think Paul was exaggerating nor lying. I think when it came to keeping rules and systems, Paul had it down. His heart was far from God, which is the exact critique of Jesus among the Jewish people. I think Paul was really that good. I just think he missed God in the process. And I think that was the Jewish problem. So Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And according to the law, he was faultless. God sees him as a good Jewish man. But what do we know from Mark 12 about the Jewish people? They were the vine growers in the vineyard that God leased to them. And God sent prophets to get his, uh, to get his first fruits. They killed the prophets. Paul is a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's one of the ones who killed the prophets. Don't miss it. He's one of the ones who killed the prophets. But what happened in Mark 12 after that? They killed who? The son of glory. They killed Jesus too. He is also one who saw Jesus crucified. Now, what did he do next? When God went to the Gentiles to provoke the Jews to jealousy, as Romans 9, 10, and 11 clearly tell us, the mystery of God. When God does this, what did Paul start by doing? Killing them. Okay, now think of those three things. God, is, God has miraculously saved the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road. Now think with those things in mind when you hear the Apostle Paul say, For the, through the grace given to me, I say to you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Changes the meaning, 
doesn't it? It changes the meaning because I think what Paul is saying is, I was the best that there could be, and now I'm the most miserable sinner of all sinners. I am the worst. Don't you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. We have all been shut up under sin, and we are all products of the immense mercy of God. I think what Paul is saying here is pregnant with meaning. I think it has all of this deep, backfilled meaning in it because Paul is an object not of just grace, but as he sees it, the greatest display of grace in the world. For through the grace given to me, I say to you, uh, um, among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think so as to have, say it with me, church, sound judgment. That word right there, sound judgment, actually is translated sober judgment. So I want you to draw the connections. If you walk in humility, this is the type of judgment that sober people have. (laughs) If you walk in pride, this is the type of judgment drunk people have. You've all met those people, right? That's why there's an internet meme that basically has the caption, here, hold my beer. You all know what I'm talking about, so don't act like you're not with me on this, right? Uh, what are the four famous last words of a redneck? Uh, yeah, hey, y'all, watch this. Hey, y'all, watch this, right? That's generally, that's generally what a drunk man says as well. And I, what a, thanks for participating in the sermon, Barney. It was important to me. But here is, here's the point that I want you guys to see. He says, I want you to think of yourselves not with drunken pride, not with uh, unsober judgment, but with sober judgment. You are a product of mercy. Can I get some amen? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Yes. You are a product... Yeah, if you're slurred speech, I'm going to talk to you afterwards. But the idea here is that we are to have sound judgment. Let's just keep moving forward. As God has allotted to each a measure of faith, I'll I'll continue to, to make that case as we go through. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ. I love this line. And individually members... One of another. One of the greatest plights on the modern church is the idea of Lone Ranger Christianity. Did you know that the Bible never says, although it acknowledges that we are individual members of a collective, the Bible never says you are individual members, full stop. Never says it. It's not one verse where it says you're individual members, and I want to end my point there. It's always you are individual members one of another. Why is that so important? Why is that so important? Because all the way back to the garden, man has needed help. God created a helper in Eve. Man needs his wife. Uh, uh, The church needs each other. The church needs leaders. Those things happen because God has created a body, a collective unit. Yes, you are individually members of it, but you are individually members of it. You cannot forget that. It is so dangerous for people to say, you know what, I don't need the church. I'll stay at home, I'll listen to the television preacher, or even this, this is the more noble one. I'll stay at home and I'll listen and I'll read the Bible. This is true. The Apostle Paul, Peter, they were pastors and they were the first. And you need to listen to what they say. 
inspired words of God. You need to listen to what they say. But you have to take a step back from your understanding of Scripture or analysis of Scripture and realize an important piece of context. They spoke to real people within real time. When Paul wrote to Corinth, these people were messed up. Read the first couple chapters of 1 Corinthians. You'll find out how messed up they were. They were messed up people. And, and Paul wrote to them and said, I see your problem. I see your need. I want to correct you. The apostle Paul does not see your need right now. He's spoken to it. Don't, don't miss it. He's spoken to your stuff, to your situations, to the grief you feel, to the fear you feel, to the pain you feel. He has spoken to it. But you need a pastor, a shepherd, a teacher. You need somebody, a brother or a sister in Christ that comes alongside you and says, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And you need that person to come alongside you and exhort you. What is that word? encourage you to walk after Jesus, encourage you under the knowledge that you have the power of God to do so. You need those people. How many, how many of you think you can do it alone? Sorry, I fooled you by raising my hand. Can't do it alone. How many of you think you need other people? How many of you know you need other people? <laughs> Yeah. Phil, that was a think. You better raise that hand higher next time. The idea is that we desperately need one another. You never knew coming to church would get you called out so much. Anyway. I want you to understand something, church, that, that we are individual members of another. There is no such thing as the finger of Christ without the hand of Christ. There is no such thing as the feet of Christ without the body of Christ. So he goes on, verse 5. So we, well, we'll continue here. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now this is where we start to see this this, relationship. Call back to that measure of faith. And I'm just going to give you some scriptures that I want you to study this week. And if you have any questions about it, I encourage you, talk to me, because I want to talk to you. The first one would be 2 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, while the others in Corinth were comparing themselves with themselves, Paul is exhorting people to humility, to walk in the measure of faith and grace that they had been given. It was, it was an understanding of their Christian service because they were getting arrogant. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, the same instruction that we're reading here to the church in Ephesus. And then, uh, and then you can also look up 1 Peter 4, 1 and 1 Corinthians 7, 17. So the idea here is that the grace given to us, the faith given to us for godly living is all in view of what Paul is talking about. Now there's a lot of debate on that and I, I'll make the time if you want to have a, a discussion about that because it, it's a serious matter. But we go on from there to verse 6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. I want to clarify something very important because the same, uh, the same uh, letter to the Corinthians where they were all messed up is a, is a letter of immense value in pastoral care and leadership. And Paul, as he's instructing the church on how to operate in spiritual gifts and how to live out their, their spiritual gifts, he talks about prophecy. But there is a misunderstanding. So uh, there's a misunderstanding of prophecy in our world today. Yes, 
there is in the scripture uh, an idea of future telling. Events that come true regardless of a response. Regardless of response. Jesus was coming to earth and he was going to die on a cross. That prophetic word was given all the way back in Genesis when the, the seed of the woman would come. So make no mistake, prophecy has that in view. But if you will take a little bit of time and you will actually read the prophets, what you will see 90% of the time is a, is a message kind of like this. God has seen your wickedness. He has told you to repent. If you don't, he's going to crush you. But if you do, he will relent. Over and over and over. And by the way, that's prophecy. Guess what? Pastors do this today. Any pastor who speaks to you and says, please listen to the word of God. Respect the God who saved you by mercy. Walk in fear. Worship him with your mouth and live as a living sacrifice is a pastor who is communicating to you the prophetic word of God to you today. Please don't miss that. It is very alive, it is very active, it transforms just as the gospel does the human heart. So please understand it's still here. And so Paul says this, he says, those of you who prophesy, I want you to prophesy according to the proportion of your faith. What you know of God's word, speak it. How many of you go, well, I just don't know enough. Whatever you know, speak it. Proclaim the word of God to a lost and dying world. That is our call by the Great Commission. Amen? So if you're, if you're prophesying, do it according to your faith. If service in his serving. Anybody ever met a begrudging servant? I'll serve you. It's the last thing I do. Right? Have you ever met somebody like that? That's not service, right? It's also not giving, which we're going to see in just a second. But if you're going to serve, then serve. That's what you're called to do. Or he who teaches with his teaching. What are you doing there? You're walking in proportion to the grace and the faith that's been given to you. Right? So let's keep going on and on. Verse 8. Or he who exhorts. What does exhort mean again? Test my teaching. Encouragement. Okay. So I, I've succeeded on two. Anyway, okay. So the point is, if you're an encourager, then encourage. By the way, we're all supposed to encourage one another, but there are people who hold a particular um, gifting in this area. Do you know who Barnabas was in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 4, I think it's verse 13, speaks of Barnabas uh, by his given name, the encourager, the exhorter is the actual word. He is the encourager. There's some people you know that are very good encouragers. Encouragers among us, listen to me, because I am one who needs it. I'm not, I'm not asking you to come up to me afterwards. I'm saying I am a human being who needs encouragement just like everybody else. If you are gifted in encouragement, practice it. Practice it. Because you give life to people who are feeling depressed, feeling broken, feeling hurt. Amen? So do that. So he goes on and he says to those who exhort in his exhortation or he who gives with liberality. If you're going to give, 10%. If you're going to give, give with liberality. Give according to the faith that God has given you and love the Lord and his people. That's what you're called to do. Amen. Okay, give with liberality. Then he goes on, and this is how we'll end it. He says, uh, he who leads, do it with diligence. If you're not going to lead with diligence, stop leading. 
(laughs) Be faithful in your leadership. Keep at it. Don't quit. Keep moving forward because your stick-to-itiveness or your pursuit actually is an encouragement to other people. They know they're not alone when they're being led by people who will not stop. So in your leadership, diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Jesus hung on a cross, church, and he didn't say, Father, I still don't understand why you sent me here. He hung on that cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I told you at the beginning that this is all about unity. How is this all about unity? Here's the message that I want you to hear loud and clear. You are needed in the body of Christ. I don't think you heard me yet. You are needed in the body of Christ. It's not a magic mantra. It's just me saying what the Bible says. I'm not going to have you recite it like it's going to make it work. What I want you to get in your heart is that God has said he has made all of you different members of this great thing that he has made, the body of Christ. You are necessary. You are vital. You might not have this function or that function, but you're needed. And I want to encourage you to step up and step out in what God has called you to do. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.